This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here. We've got a potpourri of issues for you. The Fed did the thing that we assumed was going to happen, and we're going to again mark the occasion a jumbo rate hike a hope that they can cool down the economy without plunging it into a recessionary stage. Although that may or may not be necessary. We're then going to do a little medley for you. I found some really fun political ads. Some of them are attack ads. Some of them are just downright silly. Some of them you guys sent to me, but It is the time. The harvest is ripe. The political ads are airing. We will play the best for you from around the country on this program. And we're going to be joined by somebody for whom uh, I'm very excited to have on the show. Michael Ware was somebody that I started following on Twitter because I was looking for just people who knew about voters of faith. In fact, if you remember, uh, uh, I I believe it was on PX3. I I did a God week. And uh, uh, it was just all about faith-based voting stuff. And and I I was very, very excited uh, to, to just try to broaden my horizon. So I've been following Michael Ware since then, and he's on the show here today talking about voters of faith. You know, 70% of the electorate. All that. Bird first. To reduce persistently high inflation, the Federal Reserve announced a third consecutive jumbo interest hike of point. Wednesday, further increasing the cost of debt for credit cards, vehicle financing, and other loans. The fifth straight increase to the federal funds rate brings it to a range of 3 to 3.25%, the highest that it has been since 2008. Interesting to think. So, highest it's been since uh, the Bush administration. Typically, rate increases come in 0.25%. To five or quarter percent increments, but the Fed has been using supersized hikes to curb the rate of inflation, which is currently at 8.3% year over year, well above where they want it, which is at 2%. Now, you want it at 2% because you do want the uh, uh, concept of a growing economy. And as I'm sure we are going to dissect a lot more, uh, if indeed happens next, what we assume is going to happen next, which is that we are officially announced in a recession. The question will be, did the Fed keep the economy too hot for too long? Was the growth that was needed to power out of us turning the economy off and turning it back on again during the COVID lockdowns, was it too much of a good thing? Were we get were we were we trying too hard to get everybody spending money again that we might have put ourselves in an inflationary cycle that we are now having to take drastic steps to stop? These rate hikes are not universally popular. Indeed, Elizabeth Warren has already come out and said that this is going to unnecessarily put the country into a recession. 
And of course, since this is the politics, politics, politics program, she is not the only politician that has an opinion on this. Indeed, Republicans, specifically Republicans that are looking to run for president in 2022, would love to do it while the economy is not in a good position. They would love to point to Joe Biden's handling of the economic recovery after lockdown and say he, with his spending and his uh, carelessness toward the market, is what has brought you economic hardship along with all of this inflation. You know we always love the historical here. So let's go back to the last time, before these previous two times, that the Fed raised the interest rate 0.75%. And that was all the way back in the 90s with Alan Greenspan. He too was trying to get uh, things under control, get inflation under control. But he did it with eight smaller, sorry, seven smaller rate hikes. The eighth, the kill shot, was the 0.75. Now, there is no indication to say that this is going to end anytime soon. Indeed, uh, uh, Jerome Powell has come out and said that these rate hikes will continue until inflation is curbed. The question is exactly when that will be. Food prices continue to go up, even though gas prices have become a little bit more stable. But then again, gas prices and their stability is not anything that's guaranteed. We still do need to deal with the cartel out there called OPEC. And, you know, international instability tends to be a problem here. Remember Putin's price hike? That was the reason that gas was so expensive? Well, all the way out there in Moscow, doesn't look like the war is going as well as Putin would have liked. And he's mobilizing 300,000 soldiers to redouble his efforts in Ukraine. Tack onto that the fact that Europe is already very, very worried about uh, gas because they're very tied to Russian production. This is all to say that we are entering into a period of economic uncertainty. And in general, economic uncertainty does not benefit the party in power. When it will get uncertain enough for people to be upset to vote the bums out? Well, that will remain to be seen. Do I believe that this will affect the midterms? Mm. If we see a sudden shock in gas prices, maybe. But otherwise, I think everybody who's going to let inflation be their number one issue has probably already baked in that opinion into who they're going to vote for. And if they're going to change their pattern of behavior, let's say a Biden voter in Pennsylvania now wants to vote for Dr. Oz because he's afraid that John Fetterman will back more inflationary spending. I think that's already there. I don't know what, again, aside from gas prices being insane, why they would, uh, uh, that would, that would change, in my opinion. We are about to listen to a bunch of ads and I'm, I'm trying to go, I'm trying to be there. I'm trying to be in those hotels where I just leave on the local ABC, NBC, CBS affiliate and I just watch ad after ad after ad after ad that is airing locally. I know it's happening to you. I know all my listeners out there in Georgia. I know all my listeners out there in Nevada. I know all my listeners out there in Pennsylvania. You guys are getting Chinese water tortured with these some bitches. You're just trying to sit down and watch your FBI's, your Chicago fires, your 911's, and all you're getting is bloop political ad. Bloop, political ad. Bloop, political ad. And I know it might be driving you crazy. 
but that is fuel to me. <laughs> it is my entertainment. It is my sustenance. I need it. So that's why I'm heading out there. Because you guys are paying me to. I'm going to the battlegrounds next month. I'm going out there and I'm going to report for you. Thanks to everybody who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you can support this show on our Patreon. For the $3 level, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. On this week's Thursday edition, we do our dive into the Attorney General of New York filing a civil suit against Donald Trump and his family for fraud. Not a criminal suit, but a civil suit. We break all that down. The $10 level, you get that, plus your name right at the end of the show. Guys, this is supported by you. You are the reason that it happens. Thank you to everybody who already does. And if you're ready to get into this hot midterm cycle, now's the time to do it. We only got a few weeks. It's three bucks per week. I mean, what, there's six weeks, so three bucks per week. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at less than a dinner at Applebee's. For less than a dinner at Applebee's, you could be swimming in double the amount of episodes that you get each and every week of this show. Never miss a twist or turn. Take politics seriously.com. Political ads, political ads. Everyone loves a political ad. Man, I don't know what it is about a political ad. It just is, it's perfect. I love it. It has this different mix of high school skit night and a really lame SNL commercial parody with lying (laughs) and slander (laughs) and just trying to ruin other people's reputation. (sighs) It's one of the greatest things that's ever happened on earth. And and we're going to go through a few of them that I love the most that I've found thus far this season. Let's begin here. The Nevada Senate race. Catherine Cortez Masto against Adam Laxalt. Uh, if you if you need to know the visuals here, just imagine the 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 visuals from the opening of HBO's Succession. This is a Succession parody ad against Laxalt. Here we go. I'm Catherine Cortez Masto, and I approve this message. If ever there was a child of Washington. Adam Laxalt, the son of a lobbyist, the grandson of a senator, raised at one of D.C.'s most elite private schools, flunking out of college. But that's not a problem. Laxalt was immediately allowed into another elite university, arrested for assaulting a police officer, then lying about it when he filed to become a lawyer. Eventually, Adam Laxalt set his sights west, cashing in on his connections to become Nevada's attorney general, where he used his power to shield his wealthy donors. And after failing in his run for governor, Laxalt returned to his roots, getting more than $2 million to work for a longtime D.C. lobbyist. The charmed life of Adam Laxalt, always looking out for himself. So the idea here from Masto, from Cortez Masto, is... To not paint her as the business as usual candidate, if this is indeed a change election, then uh, the person who's sitting there is the one who needs to get thrown out. They are the bum for which needs to be thrown out. Instead, painting Laxalt as not only a fail son, but also somebody for whom is about as Washington, D.C. as Washington, D.C. gets. And by the way, that is... 
the book on establishment candidates. There's been a lot of ink spilled, a lot of words spoken about the idea of good and bad GOP candidates. Good guys and bad guys. Frankly, I find the whole notion passe. Because we're really not talking about good candidates or bad candidates. We're talking about experienced candidates and inexperienced candidates. And if you're looking at the difference between Laxalt versus Masters, Oz, Vance, uh, Walker, really you're talking about people that have run, can one dude who's run a campaign before, the other who are all doing it for the first time and are making rookie mistakes. Whether or not they will make enough rookie mistakes to ruin the race, that is something we will see. Blake Masters, God knows where this man's head is at. Uh, he doesn't seem to be somebody that uh, uh, would be the boring candidate, and yet he's kind of refashioning himself as a bit of the boring candidate. At least that's happening in Arizona. But for Laxalt, if you're experienced, it means you can be defined. You know, just ask Hillary. Here's one ad that you guys sent me. A lot of people sent me. Linda Paulson, she is running for state Senate in Utah, and she decided to announce herself to the political world with a little rap, rap, rapity rap. District 12, listen up right here. There's a new name on the ballot for the Senate this year. My name is Linda Paulson, Republican and awesome. Love God and family and the Constitution. I tried to get another conservative to run. Nobody could do it, so I'm getting it done. I'm pro-religious freedom, pro-life, pro-police. The right to bear arms and the right to free speech. I want less government control and regulation want to stop and expose all political corruption where's integrity morality accountability government programs should lead to self-sufficiency and support traditional family as the fundamental unit of society but in schools they are pushing for new beliefs and just to clarify this because there's some who can't define this as a female adult i know what a woman is I've long said on the internet that the most powerful form of personality or content is one that can be made fun of and adored in equal measure. And I mean equal measure, like 50-50. So it is just on the cusp of being a total laughingstock and just on the cusp of being earnestly popular. You know, like Drake. That's why Drake is super big, because the people that love to clown on Drake love to clown on Drake. And the people that adore Drake adore Drake. And so it makes for this swirl. Trump's the same way. This is an ad that explains that principle perfectly, because the people that want to laugh at a rapping Utah grandmother will rap at a laugh at a rapping Utah grandmother. And then there are some folks for whom believe She's based. She is a, a uh, she's saying the things they wish other politicians would say up to and including the uh, uh, can you define a woman meme. So shout out to you, Linda. Keep dropping these bars. Here's another ad from a candidate that we have tracked on this program for a while. We have long said that Raphael Warnock is kind of in his own world, running for Senate as a Democrat in Georgia up against Herschel Walker. Tight race over there, at least according to the polls. But Raphael Warnock, every ad that I've seen him, they're sunny, they're playful, they highlight the charisma of Reverend Warnock. But they don't mention anything about his party, his president, his ballot mate for whom he would hope to ride her coattails, Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia. And so now that he is trying to be defined by all those things, by his opponent, Herschel Walker, he releases this ad 
All you need to know about the visuals here is that he's sitting in a living room and half of it is him talking to the camera. The other half is him talking into a mirror that the camera is looking at. If I believed everything my opponent says about me in his TV ads, I'd expect to see someone else in the mirror because it seems they want to be running against anyone but me. The truth is I've focused on doing whatever I can for Georgia, working with Republicans to promote American technology and to expand health care for Georgia veterans. And I'm proud to be ranked as one of the most bipartisan senators. Yup, I'm still Raphael Warnock and I approve this message. I know we had Scrimshaw on here before, and I do believe that uh, there will be a a challenge for either of these two two candidates to get over the runoff line over fifty percent. But I don't know. I I just kind of got a feeling that Warnock's running a bit of a front runner campaign. He's not really going after Walker all that much. They had the fight over the debate, but Warnock had to back down and take the debate that Walker wanted. I just got vibes. I got vibes about this race, and they are not great for Warnock. He is a charming man, though. He's a charismatic man, and he's he's, he's good in this ad. I don't think he's a bad candidate. Uh, I, I just think that they're they're having a hard time figuring out exactly how to destroy Walker and hoping that he's going to self-destruct. And so far, he has not. All right. Last ad here. It's it's a doozy. I'm just going to let you know. Here's what you got to know going into it. Number one, the governor up for re-election in Colorado is a man by the name of Jared Polis. Jared Polis has raised his profile over the last few months. Despite the fact that Joe Biden is saying that the pandemic is over now, it was Jared Polis that was saying, hey, maybe we don't need to push the vaccine mandates. It was Jared Polis that was taking some very purple positions while there was a fairly lockstep blue orthodoxy, at least within the Democratic Party, at least on television. But of course, you always got to run. And... When you are sitting in power, everyone can attack your record. So this is an attack ad against Jared Polis, governor of Colorado. The other thing you have to know is that back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a beer ad campaign called Real American Heroes. They had to change uh, the, the the name after 9-11. But it became Real Men of Genius. And it had the same cadence where it would it would be like, you know, Real American, either of them. There were all the, the, these trivia things. So it'd be like, Real Men of Genius. And then it'd be like, here's to you, guy who invented the pizza slicer. Slicing up the pie. You thought of a circular blade with a thing in the middle. And now we all get to enjoy cheesy goodness. Oh, it's so sticky. So it'd be like that. I don't really need to go over the format because this ad is a very faithful recreation to that parody. Here we go. Here's to you, Jared Polis. Here's to you. Jared Polis. Here's to you, Jared Polis. In just a few short years, you turned Colorado into a hot mess. Thanks to you, we are now number one in the country in auto theft. Has anyone seen my car? Drug overdoses are now as common in our state as bighorn sheep. If your goal was more violent crime and homelessness, Job well done, Jared Polis. There's poop on the sidewalk. You raise taxes by calling them fees, and then you say you're going to cut taxes. Well played, Governor. We almost fell for it. That's a dirty trick. So here's to you, Jared Polis. No one is better at creating problems and then saying, I'm just the person to fix them. Here's to you, Jared Polis. 
I got to say, I laughed out loud with, has anyone seen my car? <laughs> He's talking about auto break-ins. Has anyone seen my car? It's just right. It was just really funny. Uh, send any ads. I know you guys are seeing them at home. We will do as many of these segments as I can. If we get enough, I will do it weekly. But I'm always keeping an eye out for them. If you see them, send them. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com. In our rush to quantify electorates, I personally feel that we often get a little too general about a few of them. The biggest, in my opinion, are voters of faith. Not only are they not a monolith, but they often, at least from my point as an observer, have the capacity to surprise. For example, choosing Donald Trump over evangelical Ted Cruz in the 2016 primaries. Beyond that, the fact that we are looking at the blueing of the suburbs, for which many of these families live, continues to blur the lines of which party owns a majority of these voters. Here to discuss voters of faith in the upcoming midterm elections is a man who advised President Obama during his re-election in 2012 and previously served as a staffer in Obama's first term. Currently, he's the founder of Public Square Strategies, LLC, a firm that helps religious organizations, political organizations, and businesses. This is Michael Ware. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, great to be on. Glad to be with you. I think I found your Twitter because, and I forget what, what the particular issue was, but it was several years ago and I was just looking to diversify uh, <laughs> diversify my my bubble a little bit. And I, I figured I just needed some kind of, of, of people that were known in the past for, for understanding and analyzing, if not being involved with, uh, of faith-based uh, voters, and and you were there. I, I I've been I've been an admirer of your Twitter account uh, ever since. So uh, it is a joy for you to be on the show. Yeah, no, uh, so 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 glad to be on again, and uh, appreciate the the work you're doing here with the podcast, and uh, looking forward to our conversation. So let's talk demographically. Who are voters of faith? Yeah, so there. Are, you know, by identity and sort of by demographics, they're the overwhelming majority of the American public. And so depending on the survey, you know, roughly about 70 percent of Americans identify with the religious tradition. Uh, uh, the vast majority of those are Christian, though. Obviously, we have a strong, uh, you know, we have growing minority religious populations, you know, of, of those who identify, you know, I think you could probably, um, I, I think it's good to think of about, you know, 40% of Americans say their religion guides their everyday decision-making. And so that's mm -hmm. an interesting metric to think about. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the other 30% religion doesn't matter at all. It's important for sort of, uh, folks to not, um, uh, just cause they say it doesn't, drive their decision-making every day doesn't mean that they that there's they haven't been influenced by by faith um you know about 20 percent, and th these are very rough rough numbers but just to sure. give your listeners a sense you know about 20 percent uh 16 to 20 percent of of americans are uh white evangelicals you'll see that sort of national now, as part of the electorate, usually they can bump up to about 23%, depending on the election, uh, you know, roughly about, you know, 15, 16% are, are Catholic, 12% mainline Protestant. Obviously, we have most uh, uh, African-American voters are Black Protestants, Hispanic voters, which we'll talk about, I, I think, in our yes, conversation. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, are, uh, uh, are uh, uh, more religious than sort of the 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 mean the average American, less religious than Black Protestants, and what's interesting about sort of the Hispanic uh, Hispanic uh, voters and religion is that Hispanics 20, 30 years ago in America used to be overwhelmingly Catholic. Uh, we've seen a Protestant surge among Hispanics, hmm. particularly sort of evangelical. And so that, you know, about 2% of uh, voters nationally are Jewish, 
a little bit less than that are, are Muslim. Um, the other big religious trend is that uh, basically since the start of the century, but definitely as we got into the second decade, we saw a stark rise in the number of Americans who uh, who are um, we we call them nuns n o n e s they're they're religiously <laughs> dis- they're religiously disaffiliated um, so so they don't belong belong to a, or ascribe to a particular religious tradition even though they may have various spiritual beliefs like a belief in a divine being or something like that but now that's a, at well over 20% of Americans are religiously disaffiliated one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on and I'm really glad that you broke all that down is because I think that we we become myopic when we talk about uh, voters of faith uh, at least demographically uh, from your perspective as somebody who uh, I'm I'm sure not only spends a lot of time thinking about it but consuming other people's content uh, about this stuff do, do you think that there is an over focusing on that evangelical quotient it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult question you, you know i i think from a uh evangelical political infrastructure and sort of explicit tying of their faith to their vote is exceptional not unrivaled so so kind of when you think about the place that white evangelicals have in the republican party the closest sort of the corollary on the other side is the role that black Protestants have in the democratic party, which is say that um, these are uh, highly religious constituencies in terms of uh, church attendance, in terms of how often they say they read scripture, how, how important they say their view of religion is to their view of politics. Um, And, and, you know, I think the, the, the representation of evangelicals has, um, uh, of of white evangelicals is reflective of how the last how the elections in this century have gone. Whether it's Bush or mm-hmm. Trump, you know, white evangelicals have had such an influence and sort of have been a deciding factor in so many um, so many uh, of our our major elections. On the other hand, uh, yes, other religious communities, other Christian communities, aren't discussed <laughs> enough. I think particularly, I think it happens on both sort of among progressive commentators and conservative commentators that sort of the faith vote it, uh, is used as a euphemism for evangelicals. Yes. But um, but that's not how it works out in in uh, in real life. It's not how it'll work out in November. And 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 correct me if I'm if I'm uh, uh, off base here, but it, it seems like especially from the Democratic side, the the argument for understanding the complexities of voters of faith is more in a, a, a understanding that there are some minefields here that that you can very easily avoid if you just simply understand that a lot of your voters believe in God. Yes, a hundred percent, and it's um, it, it's incredible. It has been, um, uh, it's stunning to me how many who would say that they're in democratic politics don't understand their own voters in this way. So I've talked to enough democratic strategists and even candidates in my time who, you know, would say something like, well, why would I do faith outreach? You know, that's a Republican thing. And then you, you literally have to show them uh, the, the fact that, hey, you know, if if faith voters are a Republican thing in a country that's overwhelmingly religious, um, you might as well pack your bags. Yeah. Now, thankfully, thankfully for you, you have more religious voters voting for you than you care, <laughs> than you acknowledge. But no, it's it's a big it can be a big disconnect. Yeah. Is there any baseline uh, uh, trends for just uh, adoption of religious belief uh, of over the last 30 years, just in, in general, my, my anecdotal uh, thoughts on it are that I, I remember seeing it, it trailing down, but if I'm only going to base my worldview on the trend pieces that are shared on journalist Twitter, uh, uh, it seems like there is a bit of a resurgence in, in uh, uh, adoption of uh, a formal faith or saying that you believe in God. Uh, yeah. So this is a interesting question. So, uh, as I as I mentioned before, sort of the the most significant trend is this trend of religious disaffiliation. I think sometimes people 
hear that and say, oh, okay, like, so religion is fading out from American life, like we don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's like, no, uh, we've seen a decline of those who would affiliate with religion from, uh, you know, 90% just, you know, 30, 40 <laughs> years ago to, yeah. to 70%, you know, like yeah. there, are, there are a few things that American people agree on more than uh, uh, than some sort of religious affiliation. So, you know, that's that's significant. I will say it, an interesting trend that because it's newer, you know, I think um, uh, people are looking at it and studying it and will our sort of view of it will will get more and more defined. But there does seem to be an increase of people affiliating with religion motivated not by theological or belief reasons or religious belief reasons, but because of political affiliation. Mm. So, you know, we have a, we have a, there, there were and are concerns that uh, for instance, people were leaving evangelicalism because it was too closely associated with a conservative brand of politics. That concern remains. But what we're also what we think we're seeing is folks affiliating with evangelicalism because they're conservatives. <laughs> so huh. they may or may not they may or may not believe in sort of all all of what would be considered to be evangelical beliefs but they go well i i think this way politically so that mu- that that faith must be for me and that's sort of uh um, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about there. I mean, I think it speaks to the power of polarization right now. I think it speaks to just how much politics is saturating so much of our our culture. But but that is an interesting dynamic that's that's developing. Yeah, I, I you know, and this is, again, just kind of anecdotally, but uh, there certainly seem to be a lot more people and in, including kind of younger pundits on the right for which. Uh, uh, the the idea of religion seems like I don't want to say that they seem more religious, but they seem differently religious. Like they, that, it is a little bit more of of an iconography that I, I guess has kind of risen up along with some of the uh, uh, the, the 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 culture war issues that that the left also likes to fight. So uh, that is right. that is very I mean, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you will hear these conservative pundits say, uh, you know, on on the one hand. Uh, I think anyone who actually believes in Christianity is an idiot. You know, they 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 they're, uh, they they must be you know not really thought things through. On the other hand, we need to preserve Christian culture in the West. You know, and that yeah, kind of yeah, you know, and it's uh, <laughs> that's an interesting thing to parse out. And, and exactly, I mean, there's a lot to parse out there. So so I'll I'll leave it at that. But that is there's definitely a dynamic we're seeing. So considering that we are still at a position where 70% of American voters would say that they have some relationship with faith, I think this this uh, a question that I have here that says, you know, what voting patterns have changed over the last 20 years might be better uh, phrased as, is there anything that that 70% can agree on disliking? Mm. Well, look, you know, I think... Um... I think one of the things that has dynamic uh, that has emerged um, is this um, the the power of party identity mm-hmm. and an oppositional politics. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things we're seeing is, um, uh, I think, Democrats, even Democrats who affiliate with faith reacting quite a bit to uh to uh sort of re- republicans uh and sort of rejecting uh republicans approach to religious issues uh because they're republican not necessarily because if they were sort of detached and not affiliate, not sort of part of the political scrum that they they'd necessarily arrive at that position. I mean, so for instance, I think you're seeing a lot of conversation right now about, um, uh, I think about Pete Buttigieg's campaign in 2020 yeah. and how, uh, how, um, Pete's sort of willingness to talk about faith and particularly to sort of not just claim that he deserved a seat at the table when it came to faith, but to sort of uh, 
talk about the immorality of Republicans on the basis of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it was uh, that is galvanizing, not just as a religious claim, but the the, the partisan power of that um, is. I think something that more and more Democrats are picking up on. I don't think it's necessarily a positive development. I, I think you see a number of I think you see a number of Democrats now who are m- making allusions to scripture uh, uh, that their uh, scripture that they didn't know existed. You know, ten minutes before they that's they a made fascinating one. Uh, Be- but because but they yeah yeah. Because because I I would not consider myself a particularly religious person myself, but knowing several religious people, uh, uh, boy, can you spot the one who didn't show up to church until five minutes ago? <laughs> like yeah. that that is, you know, I mean, if 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 you can tell that somebody didn't watch football last week based on their their hot take on television, then you can probably tell whether or not they read the Bible based on how they're 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 talking about things. And right, like I, I was referring to the Democratic side, and I do think it's something that's emerging. I, I think as Pete Buttigieg in particular, people saw how much it got under Republican skin when he would talk about faith. And so yeah, it's being picked up as a tactic. But of course, like the pinnacle of this is Donald Trump, which is you know, Donald Trump would get handed, you know, here's a scripture you could say. And of course, he'd say it explicitly. He'd be like, these evangelical gatherings, he'd say, hey, my staff just handed me the scripture. This sounds like something you'd like. I mean, that's almost a direct quote from, from one of these really- well, and, and that's, <laughs> in, in, in a weird way, I feel like it was endearing to that audience because at least he didn't try to lie. Like that, that right. it's like, all right, yeah. it's, it's fairly clear that you probably haven't been to church since communion and uh, uh, you, you are, are, uh, or sorry, your confirmation rather. And, yeah, and sure, sure. Uh, you are, you are literally live the life of an actual Bible villain, but you're fighting for the causes <laughs> for which we find to be righteous and sure. Yeah. Read us some scripture at yeah. the end, as long as yeah, you're not yeah, pretending yeah. that you're a, a, a faith leader. Yes. No, no, I think that's absolutely Absolutely the the case. And, you know, interesting, I mean, like with all things Trump, you know, interesting to to learn how transferable that will be to other candidates uh, if if still sort of the Mike Pence model is still uh, sort of the most attractive model to uh, evangelicals or or if there are other politicians who can make evangelical appeals without necessarily being thoroughly evangelical themselves. Yeah. yeah I, I think, yeah, I mean, my, my, my sense with all that is that it's all authenticity, right? If, and yes. I think that that's what worked for Pete was that you got the sense that he knew what he was talking about and yes. what winds up not working for evangelical politicians or politicians that try to play to the evangelical audience. It's like, you know, at, at a certain point, even if people like what you're doing, they can sense a fraud. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's, right. let's, let's pivot a little bit to some of the races that are happening this fall. Obviously Georgia is a state that has long held ties to the Christian faith. And this year is no different, a reverend running for the Democrats and a faith forward football player for the Republicans. Uh, uh, how do you see faith playing a role there in the peach state? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think uh, in these midterms generally, you, you know, abortion has been such a uh, major issue. Uh, and for the first time in 50 years, the, the sort of most basic uh, sort of, fundamentals, the most basic state of play on that issue has changed. And we don't know how we won't know how how it actually affects voters until November. But I I wrote uh, for my newsletter in the last couple of weeks, something called the aggressor principle, which is that basically when it comes to these culture war issues, uh, way more often than not, the side that is viewed as the aggressor is the side that loses. And for Hmm. the first time, um, uh, conservatives can be viewed, I I think, um, uh, as the aggressor, because prior to Dobbs, Roe v. Wade, sort of most voters said, even if they were pro-choice, a lot of pro-choice voters said, well, the pro-life 
uh, politicians can't do anything about it. It's in the Constitution. Now, for the first time, uh, sort of the 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 window of possibilities is broadened again. So when you look at Georgia, Georgia is obviously, uh, as you said, a profoundly religious state. Uh, it was solidly red until, uh, you know, in 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 modern political history until <laughs> until January sixth or January. Third, I think, yeah. was when Warnock and Ostap um, both picked uh, up those. Uh, no, the, the the fifth, the fifth, because uh, yeah, I was, that's I was the day before. I, that's I was, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was, I was covering that in Georgia, and then I uh, uh, landed uh, on my flight only to find that January sixth had happened. Yeah, and so, so look, a, a, a couple of factors. Do we see, uh, do we see a drop off in support? among white women for uh for Herschel Walker because of the abortion issue or potentially for other issues but but how does abortion affect uh are there uh do we see a softening among uh, uh, especially in Atlanta and Atlanta suburbs of those who have been scared off by the abortion issue that's that's one key factor a second factor is, you know, is Walker able to do perform better among black voters than uh, than Warnock's oppo- opponent in 2020? You know, is Walker Kelly able Leffler. to pull yeah. an, an additional five to ten, uh, five to ten uh, percent? Um, that will be a significant factor. Um, you know, I think the uh, the the um, uh, the other question that looms over this is, you, you know, obviously there is a history between Trump and uh, the current governor, who's probably going to win. It looks like Brian Kemp is is in a pretty solid position. Yeah, uh, against Stacey Abrams. Although I'm not one to count Stacey Stacey out, but but Kemp is in in pretty strong standing. Um, you know, what does it mean for Republican voters to not have Trump on the ballot? And did not have Trump in office. How how um, do we see a decline in Republican turnout, particularly among sort of MAGA voters in a state like Georgia, uh, who are sort of uh, who who just don't feel like turning out, uh, turning out to support basically establishment, uh, you know, establishment. Uh, certainly, they're more they're more establishment governor who who had a tiff with Trump um, in in Kemp, and so. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Warnock will pull it out, but it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the than the governor's than the governor's race. And and people of faith are going to play a key role in in how that plays out. And that's what I'm curious about, because that abortion issue can kind of go in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons. Unlike a lot of the Senate battleground states, Georgia is a state that uh, uh, currently does have a more restrictive abortion policy, something that does not exist in Nevada or or Pennsylvania, yeah, sure. for example. Uh, but also it's like that cuts both ways in in a yes. state that has a very religious, uh, a, a, a very religious electorate and specifically a religious electorate amongst uh, what both. Uh, I mean, certainly Warnock, but also Walker hopes to court, like you mentioned, which is religious black voters. Yeah. So, um I mean, we're going to talk about some other races and some of these other Republican candidates, I, I think, are doing some some smart things to try and assure uh, swing voters that uh, this isn't as dire as Democrats are telling them it is. I don't think w- Walker has the same capacity to and, and is is sort of similarly positioned to do that. As some of these other candidates, and I do, I am interested to see how it plays in the Atlanta suburbs. I mean, so par- part of the political history here is that for all of its conservatism, uh, Georgia is known as a sacrificing social conservatism for business friendly policies yeah. uh, and sort of a business friendly environment. Uh, and so that's there's a long history there. I mean, you could look at um, uh, the vetoing of, by a Republican governor of a religious freedom law because Delta and some of the big businesses in, in in Georgia said they didn't want it. And so 
is this a, is is abortion going to play out sort of the same the same way? Are you going to get sort of economically minded conservatives in Atlanta and the surrounding suburbs saying, you know, we just need a more stable environment than what Herschel Walker is is going to is going to give us? Um, I will say, you know, War, Warnock. I, I, I mentioned some of the concessions and sort of the comforting that uh, other uh, other Republicans are doing elsewhere. Uh, some Democrats are doing some, uh, uh, I think, taking some action to separate themselves from the most extreme or, or most more most aggressive pro-choice voices. Warnock has not been doing that. Warnock's been directly tying. You know, he calls himself a pro-choice pastor, and it's yep. that might be motivating for for some folks. Um, I I think it could be a big turnoff to swing voters who are saying, "Look, uh, if you're pro-choice, that's that that that's fine, but but don't bring." I I can't buy the fact that it's your the fact that you're a pastor that makes yeah. you pro-choice. That's just too too much for me to to for me to take. Yeah. He's also had a very weird campaign because in the early going, especially pre Dobbs, he, you know, in all of his his campaign commercials and everything, you wouldn't even know he was a Democrat. He never mentioned Biden, never mentioned Stacey Abrams. It was all about these things that he had signed on to in the Senate and the buses that he helped bring to this local school district. Very sunny, very upbeat, but not very partisan. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's swing here to the last state we wanted to focus on, and that is the silver state of uh, Nevada. A very weird state. It's essentially one county. It's very working class, but it's also very Latino. Uh, uh, how do those demographics play specifically through the the lens of uh, voters of faith? Yeah. So, I mean, so it's a, it's a, it's a super interesting race. Uh, the Republican nominee is a known quantity. He's run for office, uh, statewide office before. He's, which, is, which, is, which is rare, rare for this slate of uh, uh, Republican senatorial candidates, as it's yes. all rookies and him. <laughs> yes, I, I, I think that's that's basically right. And, um, you know, he is um, I, I, I do think that there he's had the ability to, to build up a broad set of relationships. And, and I think this race is going to be dependent on what the overall mood of the country is. You know, this is the kind of race where, uh, you know, uh, depending what the sort of mood is going in, it could carry Adam over the top or, uh, you know, the incumbent can, can hang on when it comes to faith, two things. Um, Adam's been one of those candidates who, um, uh, and it's, it's his his last name is hard to pronounce. It's uh, uh, Laxalt. Laxalt. Yeah, Laxalt. Adam Adam Laxalt versus uh, Catherine Cortez Masto. Yeah, and uh, you know Laxalt has he wrote an op ed uh, in the state just a month ago, uh, saying saying uh, look the demo uh, uh, you, you, uh, they are trying to scare you over this abortion issue. Uh, Nevada's laws are solid. They're not changing. I've never tried to change them, even though I'm pro-life. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if that if that sort of uh, 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 gives swing voters the confidence they need to to support him. The other key factor in Nevada, you mentioned Hispanic voters. Um, you know, Trump uh, is for a number of reasons, several of them tied to faith, including Trump's openness to more charismatic uh, religious expressions than even previous Republicans. Uh, uh, in a state like Nevada, Trump actually improved over his showing in 2016. And I think it's one mm -hmm. of only states where, where he actually improved upon his 2016 numbers. And Hispanic voters were a huge, a huge part of that. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether uh, whether the Republican nominee this time around can can, can continue that, or if it was just a, a Trump, a Trump sort of uh, uh, rising Hispanic support was was tied to Trump specifically. Um, I, I I actually think you know Lexal uh, because of his long time sort of standing in the state, it'll be interesting to see what kind of goodwill he's able to draw on. But it's 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 one of the more interesting races in the country for sure. 
I very much agree with you, and and we will be heading out there to cover it in in a few weeks because of exactly that. And uh, uh, you know, when when you look at how Masto has attacked Laxalt, uh, there was one ad that that sticks out to me only because I can only imagine the ad firm that put it together just found every clip that you can find on the stock footage website yeah. for disappointed mom. It was just all yeah. women in there, in there, in, 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 you know, 40 and up slowly shaking their head at the television as they superimpose <laughs> Laxalt's face on it, uh, uh, revolving entirely around Dobbs. So, so yeah. they, that campaign obviously thinks that that's a winner for them in again, it, it, it's a strange race. Cause it's one County it's Clark County. It's Las Vegas. That's pretty much it. Like maybe if you want to really be a tryhard, you can take a weekend trip to Reno, but otherwise all your voters are in one place and the rest of it's desert. Right. And but by the way, this, this race is like a perfect example of, of the sort of aggressor principle playing out, which is that Lexalt said, not only, not only don't you, you don't have to worry about me. Uh, state laws are clear on this. It's not going to change. But he then pivoted to say, but you you want to know who is trying to change the state laws. And it's it's your current senator who not only wants to codify Roe, but actually uh, put in place abortion laws that would go far beyond what Roe allowed yeah. for. In other words, sort of, he he was trying to, and I think it's a more difficult environment for this. But he's trying to sort of lock in place that it's it's Democrats who are obsessed with this issue. It's it's Democrats who are trying to move beyond where voters are comfortable. Nevada is has been less socially conservative than a lot of other sort of Republican states. So I'm not sure. Uh, it's more of a defensive tactic on his part than an offensive one. I don't think he's going to win the race because he convinces Nevadans that uh, the Democrat is too progressive on abortion. But um, but it is a way for him to hold on to some of uh, the the independents and swing voters that may be uh, considering voting for the Democrat over that issue. Last question here, Michael. As if we're going to assume that post Dobbs, at the very least. The abortion issue in America is something that splinters, that has conversations in state houses every once in a while in in, in Congress. But it's not the 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 one all encompassing either row stands or row falls in every election. We're going to talk about Supreme Court justices as a proxy battle for that. Yes. Are you happy as somebody who talks about this for a living, uh, both professionally and in the public, that this will not be the only issue that anybody ever assumes with voters of faith? Yes. I mean, I've spent my entire career talking about and, and working to sort of raise visibility for and awareness of the fact that religious people care about so much more. And, you know, I think, <laughs> I think unfortunately, you know, I, I, I think that there's uh, there's a version of this sort of uh, this that plays out in a way that abortion sort of uh, fades in uh, sort of its salience in American politics. I doubt our politicians will choose that route, but yeah, I mean, I mean, so right. Whether it's uh, the, uh, the environment, immigration, poverty, uh, these are the kinds of issues that have motivated religious people throughout history, including American history. Um, there will be religious voters voting on those issues this November. So I think it's it's really important for your listeners not to get the impression that the religious vote is is solely determined by uh, uh, abortion. And for many religious voters, it's not even sort of in their top top you know three five issues uh, in terms of uh, sort of the the narrative and how religion gets brought up. Uh, it it is th- this election is is going to. It's going to tell us it's not going to tell us about how religious voters are thinking about climate. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the the big religious takeaways on this election is, you know, is the state of play the same uh, even post Dobbs or has has everything shuffled because of Dobbs and the fallout from from that? Well, I think that we are all wiser here because we have had the great Michael Ware on the show to talk to us about all these issues. Michael, where can people find more of your work? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, I run a newsletter uh, at reclaiminghope.substack.com and folks can check that out. Also have a podcast with uh, my my wife called Where We Are. That's W E A R, like my last name. Where we mm-hmm. are, and we just we just launched that in the last uh, month or so, and have been having great fun doing that. And so those are a couple places. And then on Twitter, you can follow me at Michael R Where. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. It has been a fantastic conversation, and uh, I hope you're well going forward. Hey, thanks. Appreciate you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to say thank you to Michael Ware, he's a new guest. Let's be nice. Let's be nice. Let's go out there and tell Michael Ware that we are very excited he brought his nuance and expertise to our program. Please go to letter P, letter X, number three, guest. That is px3guest.com. If you'd like to send me an email and please attack ads, attack ads, attack ads. If you can find them online, please send them my way. If you can just record them off your phone and email me, you can do so. Theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can find me at Justin R. Young or you can find the show px 3 Tweets. If you want to see me live on the internet, you can do so at Twitch, px 3 Live. Hey, you want to uh, support the show with a one-time donation? PayPal.me slash payjury is one way to do it. If you got your Venmo handy, you want to toss me $5, $2, $1 on Venmo. That money isn't real. Justin-Young-20. Cash app is PX3Cash. And, of course, you can send anything you would like in the mail. Rare Coins. An old tchotchke. Physical money. Or, as many people are doing, they are sending me hats. I, I had already paid off my student loans, so I did not get $10,000 from the government. I am looking for 10,000 hats from you. If you would like to send me one, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, Post Office Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. Now, the only way that you're going to get the bonus content is if you head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets you all that. Plus, you get your name read at the end of the program like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Andres, Matt, MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yeo, Pinball Shop, DP Vorbongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA Select Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana's Turn 2, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want to join the ranks? Head on over, take politics seriously.com. I'm going to take a look here. I heard a rumor that there was a uh, there was a, a, a heat wave coming to to Austin. Hopefully, the last one of the year. Jeez, Louise with cheese. Yeah, look at that. Over the weekend, it's going to be steamy up in the high nineties here in Central Texas. But good news is, I'm going to be down at Trib Fest. Texas Tribune Festival. It is where a bunch of journos gather to uh, interview politicians. It's right up my alley and good for me. It's right up the road from where I live. If you are a, a journalist or a politician and you are coming on down to the Texas Tribune Festival, then please hit me up on Twitter. Just go on that reply me. I want to meet as many people as possible. 
and uh, uh, we will we will have a good time. Anyway, hopefully I'll have some fun stories, maybe even some interviews. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying. Uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss our three. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.